Thanks for being here today. It really means a lot that you guys would come and um, and allow us to just pour into you in this way and allow Banning to speak into you. We're grateful to have Banning Liebscher. I gave him a shout out for this hoodie and I found out this hoodie is not from his church. But it says culture, so I thought it was from Jesus' culture. But he was like, no, it's from Bethel. Is Be- Here's a question for you. Is Bethel and Jesus' culture on the same team? Are you guys in competition? Or are you guys? No, no, Hillsong and Jesus' culture are on the same team. Come Bethel on. And- yes, absolutely, we're on the same team. Come on. I'm from there. I was on staff there for 18 years. That's and I, right. And I was 19 through 36. Um, no, is that right? 1937, something like that. Come on, 18 years. So let me ask you this. During those 18 years, what did you learn? (laughs) (laughs) Everything. Everything I, I mean, practically everything I know in ministry and life and is, it has been shaped by uh, the the people there. So I learned a lot. Learned a lot about community and honor and the supernatural and a whole bunch of stuff. That's amazing. For those who aren't familiar with Bethel, the pastors Bill Johnson, um, incredible church, and Banning started out there as an assistant youth pastor and then served in youth ministry for how many years? 18? Well, 12 total in youth ministry, and then six I did Jesus Culture and some other stuff there. Yeah, and then started your church five years ago. Yep. It's exploded. You guys are getting ready to buy your own building. Yep. You're believing God for how much money over the next few months? A few million. A few million. Yeah, come on. To get it. Yeah. Come on. How many of y'all believe it's possible? Hey, if God's done it in Tulsa, he could do it in Sacramento. All right, so let's, let's, let's start off with some easy questions here. I'm already, like, hitting you with hard questions. Yeah, too. <laughs> Jeez. <what'd> be... <laughs> the first question was competition. All right, here's, here's, here's an easy question. What is your current favorite music that you're listening to? Wow, current favorite music. Do I have to be? I'm in Oklahoma, so I can... Boy, this is gonna. This is a little bit. I, I'm not kidding right now. I have a. a I do Pandora. Pandora because I like music discovery. I, I don't just want to. I just want you to bring me music. And I legitimately am listening to um, Randy Travis's Better Class of Losers Pandora Station. It's so Randy good. Randy Travis, come it's on. So good. I think he's from Oklahoma. It's so good. It's like '90s country music. I am loving right now. Come on. I don't know why. I just played does he, it. Does he sing that song? Down with the old man. Well, I don't. I'm learning right now. I don't know. I'm being okay, introduced right. to. That's a good song. It's so good. Okay. I can't believe that's the question you asked me because I. I literally was enjoying it last night after I got home. Like, I love country music. That's what I've decided. What's your favorite movie right now? What's some of your favorite movies? Well, what I'm most excited about is probably Star Wars. I, I really like Star Wars. In this new Star Wars. I've already got tickets. My family's already. We're going to IMAX 3D. Come on. Bought tickets the, the, well, the morning after they came, it, were available. So Star Wars is definitely... What's a throwback movie from like 15, 20 years ago that you just still love today? That like you just... I go, through, I go through a bunch of... There's certain movies I watch consistently like every year. I, I can't share all of them, I guess, but maybe, maybe <laughs> I can. I mean, I would share them with you. Last of the Mohicans, Heat, Gladiator... <laughs> Uh, like, you know, it's like these type of movies that I would um, watch every year. But Last okay. of the Mohicans, every year, okay. for sure. What, what is a TV show that you're binging on right now or that you binge okay, on Okay, another recently? random. Like, well, first of all, I would tell you that, like, Blacklist is up there for me. But 
Do you know what I'm binging on right now? This is crazy. I've got a friend. Just the other day, I was thinking like, I don't know much about car racing. Like, I'm totally into sports, love sports, follow a bunch of it. And I'm like, I know nothing about car racing. And then I had a friend who I, I've met a few years ago, and we've become friends. And he told me he's going to an F1 race, a Formula One race in Austin or, Austin or something. I'm like, so I'm, I'm now watching on Netflix. There's a Formula One Netflix series fascinating so good like I I was I got home from church last night and was watching Formula One documentary oh so good so good I love it okay what's a uh, what's a hidden talent that no one knows you have I'm pretty good at juggling <laughs> no way I can juggle absolutely I can juggle uh, I don't can have, we see this right now I don't have any, I don't have many other well I get it can I you can you air juggle for us why can't I get an air juggle I <laughs> <laughs> Did you see The Office? Oh, 100%. Episode? The Office I would binge too when he air juggled. And then just... Oh, my goodness. Oh. Okay, all right. That's awesome. We'll have to see you juggle this weekend. Um, maybe at church. Maybe tonight or tomorrow. We'll see it. All right. Um, if you were going to heaven in one hour, what would be your last bowl of cereal? Come on. This is, we're, we're getting into some serious stuff right now. So I have, one, I have one bowl of cereal left. Yep. One, last bowl. Last bowl right here. So I don't have to be healthy? No. It's whatever nope, you want. No, because I'm going to heaven. Um, I really like chocolate Cheerios. But people didn't like that. Chocolate Cheerios. There's chocolate Cheerios. They're, they're really good. Okay. Um, and... and now, I'm going to add another thing. What would be if you had to pick a meal, your last meal to eat before you go to heaven? Yeah, my, wife, uh, my wife's family, uh, her, gra her granny's from England, and so they have like a pasty. It's kind of morphed over the years, but, you know, it was that original kind of like meat pie that the miners would take in. Well, it's kind of it's just a meat pie kind of deal, but it's, it's, it's like meat and carrots and potatoes and onions, and, oh, it's... I'd eat that in a heart. That, that, that is, sounds really good. That is what I would be if I was headed to heaven. Well, actually, I think it's going to be in heaven. So, but it would be this. It'd be a pasty and then Ben and Jerry's fish food ice cream. Mm, that Come also on. is going to be in heaven. So, Okay. All right. What's a pet peeve that you have? What's a big pet peeve? that Just one? <laughs> Just one pet peeve. One of my strengths is... One of my strengths is I have a lot of pet peeves. Um, uh, uh, it's it's got to be people that drive in the fast lane going slow. I just I just want to lose my salvation. The problem the problem is is my wife is one of those people, and so so I so when I'm driving when I'm in the passenger seat and she's driving and I'm married 22 years now, so I know just to keep my mouth shut and and, and so I just sit there. I'm like, oh my gosh, you are one of the people that irritated. I cannot believe this. But oh, when I'm driving behind somebody and they're just cruising along and cars are flying by him on the right. What are I, you doing? I just want to. I, I don't. I, it's, it it tests it tests me. It tests me. <laughs> Me too. I can relate to that. Okay, let's let's get into some serious questions. Um, Have these not been serious? No, this actually oh, all all this okay, is serious. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what are you most proud of, and why? Well, there's probably uh, my kids. Obviously, I for sure most proud of my kids um, uh, in ministry. So I'm most proud of my kids in um, 
in, in life and, and honestly super proud. It's kind of crazy, but super proud that my wife and I have made it this far and, and you just look around and there's, I mean, marriage is no joke hard. <laughs> and uh, so I do love that. Um, 23 uh, years, right? Yeah, 22. But they, 22. Uh, Come when on. it comes to ministry, I'm probably most proud, and this kind of sounds crazy being with this group, but because it sounds like, but I, I'm probably most proud of the, our team. Um, I look around at our team every week, and I just think the culture that we've created, the incredible people that are there, um, it's, it's humbling and honoring just to see people that have joined together for a common mission and a common goal and have created family. And so I, I look around every week, and, and I remember when people would ask me about the church, like, what's been the best part of the church? And I'm like, it's hard to describe, but every Sunday feels like a team win. It just feels like a big team win. Like even as great as the sermon is or whatever, and, I, and that type of feeling, that type of experience of just showing up, obviously Sunday is just one day of the week for church. But, but looking at like a Sunday and just walking away going, it's incredible. I'm so proud of the team that, that has gathered together, both paid, not paid, our, our version of the dream team, things like that. I legitimately find great pride in just looking around our community and going, this is amazing. This is the quality of people that have come and are serving and connecting and doing life with one another. It's pretty, it's pretty makes me proud. Come on, you're doing a great job. It's, it's awesome to watch that from a distance. How do you handle discouragement as a leader? Well, I think that, uh, um, I think that the Bible says, I think there's a few things that I try to have in my life. Um, uh, one, just getting into the presence of God. The Bible says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. I think we have to recognize that as leaders, discouragement is one of the main things that we will battle. Yeah. Because you cannot do what God's called you to do apart from courage. Yeah. One of the things you learn very quickly is that God has called you to be someone and he's called you to do something. So we have an identity and then from that identity comes our purpose, from that identity comes our mission. So I'm called to be someone, I'm called to do something. Both of those things, both be and do, take a massive amount of courage, massive amount of courage. And so what the enemy does is he comes to discourage us. He comes to disarm us of courage because he knows if he can take your courage, then you'll never become who God's called you to be or do what God's called you to do. So I think as leaders, we have to be very intentional about how do I encourage myself? How do I make sure I'm encouraged? So for me, it's the presence of the Lord. You know, discouragement comes from lies. At the end of the day, if you're discouraged, you're believing a lie. It's just, it, it is what it is because the enemy is, that's how he works. He's lying to you. And so, and the lie that I'm almost always believing is that God's not with me. This is the crazy part. So if, I'm, if I approach my finances and I'm discouraged about my finances, the lie I'm believing is God's not with me. I, I, I believe I'm all by myself when it comes to finance. It's hopeless. It's whatever else. Um, if, I, if, I, if I'm discouraged in my marriage, I, I, I'm, I believe God's not with me in that situation. So one, I've got to get with God and I've got to get that lie broken that somehow God's not with me and he's not for me. Uh, so I just get into his presence. And then, um, and then for me, it's community. I mean, Paul writes in Romans 1, he says, I long to be with you that our mutual faith might encourage one another. Yeah. There's that thing that isolated people are the most discouraged people. Isolated people are targets of discouragement in a way that people that are connected to community aren't. People that are connected to community, there's a natural flow of encouragement. Yeah. I mean, this is crazy, but last night in the car, you make one mention about 
uh, um, a house. You, you just you mentioned something last night in the car about something you're believing for and then believing for us as well. And I'm no joke, I, I didn't share that, but there's just courage. I can just feel courage, kind of like, like you kind of shared that last night. I, I just kind of went back, felt some courage coming in my heart just from connection in a car ride. So I think that when I'm discouraged, I'm believing lies. I've got to get with God. I've got to let him break those. And I've got to get with people. I just flat out have to get with people. And uh, there's something about people that, that just bring courage uh, uh, to one another. And when our lives get together, we leave with more courage than we came with. So good. You know, um, you and Sean Foyt invited me into a group of guys uh, like a year and a half ago for this very purpose, to encourage each yeah. other. And you were like, we can't post any pictures on Instagram. <laughs> We're not going to be those pastors that post pictures of each other on Instagram. So he said, we, this has to be a secret group of encouragement and brotherhood. And it has really blessed me, just that the text thread that I'm part of with you guys in that time. And it's so true. You can't handle discouragement apart from relationships. And, yeah. and people who can sympathize and understand a little bit of what you're going through. So if, if you're discouraged as a mom, you need to talk with other moms that are walking through some of that same feeling of discouragement. If you're discouraged as a pastor, you need yeah. to talk to some other pastors and go, hey, you're not alone. Like, we all face those Well, moments. we think that part of our discouragement is, is we think that we are, not just that we're alone, but that we're the only one that deals with this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a crazy thing. My wife went through pretty strong four years of pretty intense anxiety. Part of her story, she shares it. It's part of her, but, but what's interesting is, she, I mean, it was, it, was, it was pretty crippling anxiety for a few years. And, 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 and you'd never know, but, but all of a sudden we're finding out a lot of people have. Like we, we didn't even know, but because we're connected, like, oh yeah, I went through that, two years of this, and you're like, and what it did was like, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not, I'm not this weak individual who can't handle, there's just something about being around community. We're like, I get it. I've been there. We're like, wait, I'm not the only one that's been here. Like, and so sometimes I'm discouraged because I think I, should, I shouldn't be dealing with this. I should be doing better. My marriage shouldn't be having a hard time. And then you get around people, you're like, oh, yeah, we are like healthy marriages that are like, oh, yeah, we totally went through a tough patch of marriage, had to figure it out. And you're like, you did? Like, like and there's something encouraging about that. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. There's just something encouraging about that that's just like, okay, I... I'm not the only one. I, I'm not the only one, or, or like I'm not this weak individual who, because I'm going through a tough time. That's so good. That's really good. Um, yeah, give a big hand. That's powerful. But we would not know that if we're not connected. Yeah. If you're not connected, you're not telling people, you're not sharing, I'm going through a tough time, you'll never know. If CJ wouldn't have been open and honest about her anxiety, if you're not open and honest about our marriages and doing well, you never actually encounter the strength that community brings. And I think, too, something you said to a group of our staff yesterday is that you really want a team that models authenticity. Yes. Um, and that's a core value for, for the team. That's a core value for Ashley and I, and I feel like has flowed in our church, and we want to continue that. Authenticity requires vulnerability yes. yeah, to say, exactly hey, right. you know, I'm down at this altar call, too. Um, yeah. I, I'm needing the encouragement that I'm preaching to you about. That's yeah. why I'm preaching, to, yeah. you know, uh, and I feel like growing up sometimes in the church, you didn't always see the vulnerability that, that you needed yeah. to see Maybe to feel exactly. like you're not the only one. Yeah. Um, but I feel like there is a ditch sometimes on being overly vulnerable 
with too many people. Yeah, you, I mean, there's, I, I completely agree. I mean, this is, I, I think you have a couple of things. One is you don't, want, you don't want your relationships just to be about problems. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not doing good, you're not doing good, and that's our connection with one another. Yeah. Like, there's got to be more than just that in your connection. But also, I, I would agree. I mean, there's, there's, there, there are circles. I, I can be authentic by just admitting, like, yeah, there's struggles I go through in a large setting, but, like, I'm not breaking that thing down in a deep, intimate way yeah. with just everybody. There's a handful of people that are, are to be get involved. Get to see the scar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, that, that, that actually get to come and be a part of the solution. Because at the end of the day, here's the crazy thing, and this is, this is just a general over for anything. It's very important that if you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, don't talk about it. So just in general, just in general, here would be the flaw, here would be the rule. If I'm not part of the problem or if I'm not part of the solution, then don't talk about it. I'm saying, and I would say also in this scenario, like sometimes we're sharing with people that they're not part of the solution. Yeah. Like God hasn't brought them in as a father. It's, it's not that I'm hiding something, but at the end of the day, there's a handful of people in my life that need to know at a deep level this because they're actually called to be part of the solution that God's brought into my life. That's Does really that make good. sense? Yeah. And so we do, you do have to use wisdom with that. That's really good. Um, what would you tell yourself at age 20 that you didn't know back then, but you know now? I, I think um, what you mentioned today in your session, which is fantastic, by the way, I think, I think the concept of being healthy I think when, you're, when I'm younger, I'm driven, I want to change the world, I want to take over the world, I want to, uh, you know, I, I want to do all this type of stuff, I'm insecure. And I, I think I'd go back and say, listen, just focus on health. Mm. Just become the healthiest person you can become, and whatever comes out of you with that, great. Mm. But, um, but, but we don't slow down long enough. I think part of our culture is, is, is that, especially when we're younger, we're in such a hurry, and it's just such a frantic kind of frenetic pace all around us. This is the illustration I would use. We just bought a house a year and a half ago, and we bought it from the original owner. So they, they, they lived in it for 28 years, and we live in a suburb called El Dorado Hills, and so it's built on hills. So half of our house is a, a, a concrete foundation. Half of it is a raised foundation. So we buy it from the original owners. The inspector comes to inspect the house, and part of doing so goes underneath the house. Well, what he finds underneath the house was that the entire wood foundation was completely rotted out. Mm. Like, like the, he, he said, he said I, I don't even know how the house is standing, except for the walls, except for the stucco walls. I don't know how this house is still standing. And what had happened was 28 years they lived in that house, they never actually went under the house and checked it. In 28 years, they didn't go into the house and check it out. So it was bad ventilation. It was too wet down there. And, and it, over 28 years, it had just everything had just rotted. They had $38,000 worth of work. They had to fix it. They had to, they lost, you know. Uh, so, so I guess my advice back then would have been like, slow down and pay attention to what is going on inside of you and get healthy. <laughs> Because that, that stuff doesn't go away. Yeah. It doesn't go away. Whatever unhealthy thing you have before marriage, it doesn't go away in marriage. It gets amplified in marriage. It, and, and, or it pops up 20 years later because you're not dealing with it. Or whatever else it is. In leadership and life, 
So I think at 20, I would do what you're saying this morning is just like health matters. Your internal world matters. It means you got to slow down. It means you got to get people in your life. It means you've got to pay attention to the motivations and the lies you're believing. Just get healthy. Like, get healthy. And then whatever comes out of that, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. You know, we... Um we had a conversation with that group of pastors exactly on what you're saying. Why are we motivated to do what we're doing? And how we've seen over the years, people who had a motivation for the wrong reason didn't last. It, it was those motivations eventually self-destructed yeah. their leadership. And so coming back to that healthy place of, you were sharing this with our team yesterday, defining success the right way. Yeah. I think that would be good to share with this group and even with the podcast. How do we define success so that we are motivated for the right reasons? Yeah. And I think we need to, I mean, being a leadership podcast, we, we, have, to, we have to just recognize that there's a, there, in ministry terms, there's, a, there's an ep, a epidemic, maybe there's an epidemic in the church right now with leaders who are not finishing well or who are young and burning out, morally failing early. And maybe it's always been there. I don't know. But... But I, I've been really struck by the people that aren't ending well. And partly I'm like, and, and, and people are going like, well, uh, and, and a bunch of them aren't surprised. This is what's crazy to me. There's, there's really great men that are not ending well. That, you know, and, and then the, the environments around them is like, well, you know, we kind of saw a bunch of that stuff. And well, you know, but, but, but everybody just made excuses for it. <laughs> it was just a broken structure that's okay with people being driven but unhealthy, getting results but unhealthy. And I think a bunch of it has to do with we just flat out have a wrong version of success in the body of Christ. It is a worldly version of success that is connected to numbers, that is connected to performance, that is connected to fame, that is connected to so many other things. When, when you cannot determine success apart from eternity... And this is one of the things that you have to recognize right now. You cannot determine success apart from eternity. You can't determine success apart from 20 years. This weekend we spent, um, uh, people will ask me, after this weekend, people will ask me how to go at victory. Now I'm going to give them something. I'm going to say, oh, it was great. Great church presence was good. You know, people were touched, this many people, whatever. But you know, in reality, we have no idea how it went this weekend, at least for 20 years. Because, because the Bible tells us we're to go after fruit that remains. It's not just fruit we're going after, it's fruit that remains. So, so in other words, how was this weekend? I don't know, I'll let you know in 20 years. If the seeds that we planted in 20 years are bearing fruit, uh, if, if the seeds we're planting this weekend are bearing fruit in 20 years, it was a great weekend. If there's no fruit, it was a horrible weekend. Like, so we're trying to somehow define success but we're not basing it around, let alone 20 years, we're not basing it around eternity. Yeah. So this is, the Bible's very clear on, the, Bible's very, the Bible points us to many things, but two of them is this. One is that this life is short. It's a breath, it's a moment, it's a vapor, it's grass that grows and withers. So, so we know that this life's short, but the second thing is we know we're going to stand before God one day. Now, we're not going to, we're not going to give account for our sins, that's been washed clean by the blood, but we are going to give account for our life. And so what, what, what success has to be then at the end of the day, it, it, it's, it's, it's not numbers, it's not whatever, it's, it's, it's did I love well and was I faithful and obedient? Did I, did I do what God asked me to do and, and did I love well? 
So what I ask myself consistently around success is, is this, I ask two questions. Is this going with me into eternity? Will Jesus ask me about this? So, so I'm about to, I'm going to release another book. I just finished it. I'll release it next year. When I release that book, I have to go, what's success look like? Does success look like a certain amount of people buy the book? Okay, if I'm going to answer that question, I have to say this. What's Jesus going to ask me when I stand before him? And is he going to say, how many books did you sell? Is he going to ask that? If he doesn't ask that, then it's completely irrelevant right now and has nothing to do with success. He's going to ask, were you faithful with what I asked you to do? Were you obedient? Did you deliver the message that I gave you? That's all he's going to ask me. So success is not how many books are sold. Success is, did I faithfully do what he asked me to do? That's it, because that's all he's going to ask me about. And he's not going to ask me, hey, why wasn't your church as big as Joel Osteen's church? He's not going to ask me that question. He's not. He's not going to ask me on November 2nd, or what's today, November 2nd? He's not going to ask me on November 3rd, 2019, how many people were at your church? He's not going to ask me that question. So then tomorrow, if I think success is connected, how many show up to my church tomorrow, but he's not going to ask me about it, then we just have a wrong version of success. Does that make sense? So good. So I, I, think that, I think that we just have to pay attention. What is success? It's that God's with me. I loved well. I was faithful and obedient. Those are the things that he, yeah. he's going to ask about. Did you love your wife well? I mean, this is the whole thing. Like, you can fill stadiums and not love your wife well. And when I stand before him, what's he going to ask me? Yeah. He's going to be like, why didn't you? Like, I asked you to love your wife well. I filled stadiums. Like, did you not see the stadiums of people that were coming to what I was doing? I, so this is, uh, anyways, that's a long answer to that. So good. But can I get an amen? <laughs> Come on. Success equals obedience to God. And I think that's so important, you know. Even recently, I was uh, getting that same revelation. I was sharing with our, our church that even for parents, sometimes the, the, um, tendency, I was talking with a parent a month ago who said, you know, I just, I've worked so hard to do everything I can to raise my kids right, and I'm watching my teenagers make bad choices, and um, the parent said, I just feel like I failed, and, and I said, well, why, why do you feel like you failed? Well, they're, you know, this teenager's now vaping, and this teenager's doing this, and this teenager's now making these choices in their relationship, and I said, and I, I have to listen to this 15 years from now. Remind me to listen to this 15 years from now. When Liam and Benny are teenagers. Yeah, tell it, tell it. Success is not what our kids choose to do. Success yeah. is, did I do what God asked me to do? Yeah, yeah. Did I get them in church? Yes. Did I teach them to love one another? Yes. Because I'm not in charge of other people's responses, their reactions, them buying my book, them coming to our church, them living out my sermon. Yes. I'm in charge of sowing my seed yes. as a parent, and yes. that's all I can be in charge of. My success is my seed. Yes. It's, not, it's not my harvest. It's yes. my seed. Yes. The harvest is whatever word. God wants yes. to bring in. Yes. And we, and, and we better make sure we understand that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm serious because we just have a, if we don't understand that, then we are frustrated. Yeah. It's a great word. I love that. Okay, so what is, um, let, let's talk about this. How do you spot an opportunity um, for your church, for your family? How do you spot an opportunity? How do you smell an opportunity and know whether or not it's worth your time and energy and investment? Yeah. 
from a leadership standpoint, I would say there's two things that are going on. One is, is I very much am leaning into, um, I'm paying attention to the prophetic. Uh, so I want to know, I want to get a word from the Lord on this thing. I want to know if he's in it. I think one of the things you have to recognize is when there's favor on your life, it means there are doors that will open that are not from God. If you have favor, doors open, but it doesn't mean it's God that's opening the door. It's just that's an good. open door because I got favor on my life. So, so then, so we have to lean in and say, Lord, are you in this thing? We're consistently inquiring of the Lord. Like we're just consistently inquiring the Lord. And I'm looking for the word of the Lord in, in whatever it could be, a, a, a dream or a scripture, or I'm just kind of like, Lord, I need you to speak to me on this thing and what's in front of me. But then also for me, community. I don't make decisions apart from community. I just don't. I'm con I, I believe firmly in what the word of the Lord says. The word of God says that in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. So I understand that that... If I'm making decisions apart from counsel, it's unsafe. If I'm making decisions with counsel, it's safe. So we have people that surround us that we are bringing this stuff to and saying, what do you think? And, and, and that they're actually weighing in on opportunities there in front of me. Or, and I find most of the time it's not even opportunities, it's timing. You know what I think trips most people up is timing. They, they think it's now when it's later, and, and so it's, I, for me, it's a multitude of counselors, and I'm leaning in to what the Lord's saying. I, I'm really asking God, what are you saying about this, and uh, is this the opportunity? So, um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, a, uh, I, I told him this one, we're, we're trying to, we're going after this building, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require some finances in a, in a miracle, but... But our team leaned in on it, and we're just, we're praying before we come to our church and kind of say this, you know, we're just like, Lord, is this what you're wanting us to do? We've got counsel, we've got fathers and mothers, we've got businessmen, like we're just seeking, like, what do we think about this? We're getting the heart and the mind of God on it. But I'm also trying to pay attention to, um, you, know, you know how I describe it, there was a, the, the prophetic in, in following the Lord is something I think we just have to pay attention to. And I'm talking about prophetic, it could be something simple, but I took my son on a hike. Um, I took my son on a hike, it was like a day hike up to Mary Lake, this lake kind of by where we are. And as you're going on the, tr as you're hiking up there, somebody has spray painted like red lines periodically to let you know you're on the right path. And some are super bright and some are faint and you can't see. But as you're going, you kind of see the line. You're like, okay, I'm headed, on the, I'm, I'm headed the right direction. And sometimes it's faint, but it's enough to go, okay, I'm headed the right direction. That's and cool. I remember that we were walking along, and we hadn't seen one in like 10 minutes. And, and I was like, Lake, I haven't, I think we need to, I haven't seen one of those lines in a while. I think maybe we're off course. So we went back to the last one we saw and kept on going from there until we found the next one. And I think that that's what, when it comes to opportunities and what the Lord has, I'm paying attention for that stuff. I'm paying attention. Oh, that little thing came up. That's interesting. Okay, I think we had the right direction. And, and we're kind of looking for those kind of prophetic moments and counsel and different things like that. And we slow down. I slow down if they're, I, I slow down if they're, not, if they're not there. And sometimes they're not super loud. Sometimes they're just faint, but they're there. Yeah. And uh, this is what one of them is. Um, uh, a few weeks before we were going to announce to the church the biggest step we've ever taken for this building. I, I woke up at 4 a.m. one morning, 
And, uh, um, and I could just feel the weight of what we were about to do and really come into our church. We're a young church, five years old, first time we've really come at this level and said, hey guys, I believe God's led us here and we're gonna have to believe big for this. So I just feel a weight of visit a pastor. I go back to sleep and I have a dream. And in the dream, I'm, I'm looking at the building that we wanna buy and this huge deer is walking in front of it, this massive rack, big deer. And I remember in the dream thinking, that's in city limits, like it's protected, it can't be shot, it's in city limits. So I wake up the next morning, and I have a, a sense, like I think it's about provision, but I'm not quite sure. I need to go look at biblical metaphors and analogies around deer. So I come to our staff and I share with our staff. That morning I just said, hey guys, we had our normal staff, and I said, I had a dream last night, I don't fully know what it means, but I share the dream of the deer. And we're sitting there, and I finished sharing it, and our youth pastor, Becky, she goes, right after chair, she goes, big bucks. She, she said, big bucks. And when she said that, I thought, that's the word of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. Big bucks are about to show up for this building. Come on. And... <laughs> But, I, but, I'm, but I'm telling you, it's, it's, just that, it's just that red line. It's just that red line that says, okay, we're headed the right direction. I don't fully know how this is going to work out, but I do mm. know that that's just a red marker that's saying we're headed in the right direction, Come including on. counsel and, and counsel going. We feel the Lord's in this and the Lord, you know, okay, all right. I haven't run into a problem. You know, counsel's good and the prophetic word's coming. And so we're paying attention to that. And then the other thing I would say, this is a really long answer. It's a good thing that I'm the guest. They, uh, <laughs> the other thing I would say is this. I very much pay attention to uh, when something is being forced. So I believe that God brings opportunities, but sometimes there's things that I, I, I feel like I'm making this happen. I'm forcing it. And I, and, and I don't know how to fully describe this, but I'll tell you just my, my process. There, there's a, um, the priests, when they would go into the holy place once a year, they would have to wear a certain type of garment that was a certain type of material. And it was different than their normal garment because this garment had to be breathable because sweat is not allowed in the Holy of Holies. So sweat's not allowed in the Holy of Holies. So I don't know how to describe this except for as I'm moving towards things, there are moments when I recognize I'm sweating right now. Wow. I'm sweating. Now, and so I stop though and go, why am I sweating? What am I am I forcing this? Am I making this happen? Now I don't think everything is easy and like faith is required and we have to believe for things and we have to work hard for things, but I'm telling you, there's something in the spirit that I can just feel when I'm like, I think we're forcing this. I think I'm forcing this right now because I can feel sweat. And sweat's not allowed in the presence of God. So, so then I, I stop, and I'll get with our team, or I'll get with the Lord. I'll say, guys, I'm feeling this. What are we thinking? What's going on? Is, is the timing off on this? Am I making this happen right now? Are we pushing this thing through? Um, and so I'm looking for that. And, and it gets a lot more complicated when you have money and resources, because you can kind of just make things happen. And so I pay even more attention then, like, am I just making this happen right now? Yeah. Because that opportunity, I'm convinced that, that the Lord 
Well, it, if the Lord opens the door, he'll keep the door open. But if I open the door, it's now my responsibility to keep that door open. And that's not a pressure I want. Wow. I'll, I'll walk through doors he opens, but, and then he'll keep them open. And so, uh, or if he wants him to shut, he'll shut. But it was him that opened the door. That's a really long answer for that. No, that's really good. That's really Can good. I get another amen? All right, crowd. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. What are a few books that you've read that have helped shape who you are today? Well, all the, most of the books, there's a handful. Let me, I'm going to get to biographies, but there's some prayer books that very much shaped who I am. Uh, there's a book called With Christ in the School of Prayer by uh, a guy named um, Andrew Murray. And it was the book that Evan Roberts read right before he went and prayed the oh, bend me, oh God. So Andrew Murray, With Christ in the School of Prayer, one of the most profound books on prayer. There's another book by Ian e. Bounds called Power Through Prayer that are just two, uh, two incredible books on prayer. So those books shaped me quite a bit. Uh, Maxwell's Developing the Leader Within You was, was just really so foundational around that type of stuff. Um, there's a book uh, written in the 50s um, called, by a guy named Arthur Wallace. Uh, called, he, he was a charismatic leader in the UK. I don't even, it's probably not even in print anymore, but you can probably get it somewhere. But it's called In the Day of Thy Power. It's a study of revival, maybe, maybe the best book I've read on the study of revival called In the Day of Thy Power. And then from there, the books that impacted me the most are biographies, hands down. Uh, Jamie Buckingham wrote a book called The da Daughter of Destiny on Catherine Kuhlman. Um, there's a book called, uh, on Martin Luther King um, called Let the Trumpet Sound um, by, uh, uh, by Stephen B. Oates. He wrote another one on Lincoln called With Malice Towards None. So, so uh, there's a book uh, on Billy Graham, A Prophet with Honor uh, by, I think it's William Martin. So, so a, a book on Billy Graham, Prophet with Honor, an MLK biography, a Catherine Kuhlman biography. And, and then for me, those books on prayer were, were pretty shaping. There's another book by Evan Roberts called, it's on Azusa Street, but it's another wave of, uh, it's another wave of revival. So those were the books that kind of shaped me. And, and there's another book, Rooted. Yeah, yeah, I didn't read. Well, I did read the book only because I wrote it. <laughs> hey, how many of y'all read Banning's book, Rooted? Oh, this is gonna Come be on, it. so powerful, so good. What's your new one on? It's on, uh, it's called The Three Mile Walk, and it's on the Lord, uh, it's the story of Jonathan as armor bearer, and the Lord, the Lord awakened the Lord, um, the Lord stirred something inside of Jonathan. He awakened his heart to the call. And, uh, and so in between the two passes is a three-mile valley. And so, You're talking about 1 Samuel 14? Yeah, and so he had to it's go. one of my favorite yeah. chapters. I love he, that. He went on that journey. The three-mile walk is about engaging the call of God in your life and what's required. What Holiness, courage, faith, yes. things like that. Dude, I'm excited to read that. When does it come out? June. June of 2020. Writing a book is the most anticlimactic thing because you push hard. Publisher wants at a certain point. You're working. You're just months and months of doing it, and then you turn it in. They're like, "All right, it'll be out in nine months." <laughs> it's like, oh, so yeah. I love June. it. I love it. Okay, um, we'll, we'll do like one or two more questions here. What is a core value that you think every leader should possess, and why? Uh, teachability. Oh, I, I think ultimately humility, but I think I think. Humility is teachability. I, I think teachability, I think if you're going to be a leader, the requirement for leadership is growth. So what qualifies you as a leader is not 
full maturity is not perfection, but a passion for growth. That's good. This is out of, um, you know, when Aaron, when Aaron's leadership was challenged, it was his rod that had growth on it and nobody else's. So the way that the Lord affirmed his leadership was the fact that there was growth. And so I think that growth is the qualification for leadership. You will not grow if you're not teachable. So for in my, and, and I think that teachability requires humility. So, so just teachability. Like I just want to be teachable. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to be able to receive feedback. If you're a leader that can't receive feedback, if you're a leader that's resistant, you're defensive, dismissive, about feedback, if people above you, beside you, and below you can't come and give you feedback, then you're not teachable. Mm. And, you, and if you're not teachable, you're not interested in growing. Mm. And if you're not teachable, you lack humility. There's a pride that comes in our life that says, I don't need you. I don't need you to give me input. I'm wow. fine where I am. And that pride is dangerous. Wow. And so I think teachability is a humility that says, I am interested in what people that I'm leading have to say, their input into my life. I am interested in people that I'm leading next to has to say, I am interested in people that. So I think that teachability, which is coupled with humility and which is tied to a passion for growth, I think that teachability is, is probably hand. Really for, for me, it's what I look for most in leaders. I feel like, listen, you can make as many messes as you, like messes are not what scare me. Lack of teachability is what scares me. Like people's inability to receive feedback is what scares me, not a mess you make. You can clean up messes. Yeah. You can clean up messes. But if you are hungry to learn and you're teachable and you're moldable and you're humble, man, we'll, we'll deal with messes. We'll deal with messes. So That's good, fine. Danny. Teachability is the issue. Is there a moment in your life when that happened, where someone came to you and corrected you? All the time. Um, or challenge. No, but let me let me give the full question. <laughs> and you didn't handle it the right way. And later on, you had to go back. Um, like, was there ever a time when you were working for Bill Johnson? And oh, no. There was a time. There was a time. Even there was a time recently. Um, uh, uh, well, I don't want to get into details or names. But I, <laughs> I got a call from a spiritual father of mine who who is no longer a boss, who no longer has any real like paper authority in my life but has authority in my life and and he had some feedback for me I didn't like it and and I I locked up with him on the phone over it and um and and I I just pushed back I was irritated and and um but he was right and and I I kind of pulled I, I mean I got to the right place mm. I got there yeah but I I didn't like it at all here's the hard part can I can we, let's talk about feedback for a moment yeah you're going to have to have feedback if you're going to grow. But here's the crazy, which means you've got to have people in your life. But here's the crazy thing. You're going to get feedback from people who have wrong information, bad attitude, not great communication skills. You still have to be able to receive feedback. This is what's amazing to me, how people, because I remember one time in a matter of about a month, three people, two outside Bethel, one inside Bethel, came to me with feedback, and it was not right. 95% of it was wrong. Their attitude was 100% wrong. Like, it was bad. But here's the crazy thing. I could hear the Lord in some of what they were saying. Mm. Oh, and it irritated me. And I went to the Lord. I said, God, why do you speak? Why do you keep speaking to me in crappy packages? Like, why do you keep speaking to me in this stuff? 
because they're wrong. Half their, most of their information isn't even accurate. They're not asking questions. Their attitude's wrong. And, and he just spoke to me. He said, I'm wanting to see if you'll humble yourself and hear what I have to say or if you'll stay in pride and dismiss all of it. And so this is what I learned was that we're like, oh, I would love to receive feedback from people if <laughs> they have all their information right. They have proven over the last decade their love for me. They're phenomenal communicators. So they, they, they don't have any of their own emotions involved. And, and we're pretty much describing Jesus. So we're like, hey, if you're Jesus, feel free to come give me some feedback. But the problem oh, is, is, is that people don't always have all the right information. They don't. And, and if you're married, you'll get this. Marriage is about two people with different communication styles trying to figure one another out with their own emotions involved. So, so you might be married to somebody who's like, oh, man, we never fought at all until it got so bad that we just exploded. But we avoided, 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 then it exploded. Or, or like when we, we were very quiet in our conversation. And then you're married to somebody who's like, Oh man, like if you're not yelling, you don't even care. Like you don't even love that person unless you're yelling at them. Like that shows you care. So you put those two people together and they're trying to figure that out. Well, the problem is, is we're disqualifying people because they don't have it perfected. Their emotions are involved in it or they come from a home that like they just held on to it for the last year and finally they explode on us. I'm like, well, if you're not going to come to me a year ago, if you're going to hold on to this whole thing and they actually have feedback for you, you just want to disqualify it because the package isn't perfect. God still wants to speak through them and you have to humble yourself enough That's good. to actually hear that stuff. Wow. Man. How many of y'all enjoyed this, this time with Banny? Come on, so good.